are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday afternoon, everybody. It's hard to believe that we are already at the end of the week. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Weeks just keep going by, Noah. I mean, last week we were kind of saying the same thing, or at least I was. I was like, dang, it's Friday already, and you look up and it's already Thursday. I mean, we're almost all the way through it, man. Yeah, I woke up this morning and I thought that exact same thing looking back to last Thursday. I was like, holy cow, we are already at the end of another week. Summer is roaring by, but it seems like it gets harder and harder every day to find news and whatnot. But we still have a packed show for everybody, still going through the offseason. Really, the news that has dominated this week is on the basketball front. Typically, we would be talking about the NBA Finals at this point in the year, the NBA Finals would already be passed, but we're talking about the NBA Draft Combine right now. JT Thor showing out at the Combine. Yeah, yesterday I believe he went 15 of 25 during a three-point drill, and I think that was the best among front court players, at least at the time. I don't know what happened after that, but that was best among front court players at the moment. And yeah, I believe he shot, what, right at 30% from three during his time in Auburn? So to be able to go out and show out at the Combine and be able to prove that you can actually shoot the three well is really impressive to me. Um, if you had told me that he had gone 15 of 25 and was the best among front court players, I would have had a hard time believing you. But There's actual footage of this. But there's actual footage of this. You can go and watch him on Twitter, and he looks really comfortable. And it's, it's something that I was saying would benefit him if he came back for his sophomore year at Auburn, getting that three-point shot developed and becoming more comfortable handling the ball. But you see him on drill, in drills right now, and he looks really, really good out there. Very smooth, very coordinated. He's not clunky like a lot of front court players are. He looks like he's meant to play out on the wing, despite the fact that he is a six foot nine, six foot ten power forward. Moving on to the NBA, if people want to go check out some of that footage, Jonathan Giveney at NBA Draft Express, great Twitter account to follow if you're interested in the NBA draft scene. He really is the premier source in the NBA draft, and he has a lot on JT Thor. And Jacob Hillman, who's behind the board with us today, has said this a lot of times. He kind of appears to be everyone's favorite NBA draft prospect. Yeah, he's uh, as far as his uh, three-point range, was last year at Auburn he shot 29.7% from three and something else that was churning heads at the combine was him recording a seven foot three wingspan which we talked about briefly a couple of days ago I believe that's that's longer than Giannis's wingspan which is incredibly impressive and then something else to mention news today JT Thor pulled out of 
one of the NBA Combine scrimmage, their five-on-five scrimmage uh, portion of the Combine. He pulled out of that along with Aaron Henry, Western Kentucky center Charles Bassey, and Alabama guard John Petty. Now, people not familiar with this NBA draft process may think that's a bad thing. Tell everybody why that that's actually could be a good thing. So in, if you're going to the Combine, obviously you want to perform and you want to be able to get as much as much tape out at the Combine. You want all eyes on you and you want, you want everybody to get as many opportunities as they can to watch you play and to see what you can do. But if these guys are pulling out of the scrimmage, that means they've had conversations with either agents or teams, and they've said, not necessarily we're going to pick you as soon as we can, but we are looking at you as somebody that we want to pick up. So if our spot opens up and you're still there, we're taking you. And it's more likely more than one team that's told them that. So the reason that these guys would pull out of the scrimmage is to not injure themselves or to not to not worsen their draft stock because they already feel like they're in good standing with mul- what, sh- what should be multiple teams. They feel like they've put enough on tape. Yes. And, and JT s- Thor, it's kind of shocking to believe this, but he's already put enough on tape probably to get into the first round which is crazy just because we were all sitting here or i was let's not i won't say for y'all but i was sitting here saying i don't know if the man's gonna get drafted and he goes to the combine shows out so well that he feels confident enough to pull out of the scrimmage i i i'm really impressed with what he's been able to do these past couple of days highest mock draft i've seen was bleacher reports not that long ago we talked about that either last week or two weeks ago had him at 23 That's one of the highest slots that I've seen JT Thor. I've also seen him probably hovering average late first round, even later than 23, of course. I'm talking like 29 or 30. And then maybe worst case, he's sitting at the beginning of the second round. But I'm in the territory now where there's been enough discourse. There's been enough out there about JT Thor that this traction is legit. This traction is real he's going to get drafted in the first round. He's gotten a lot of attention from some really big-name guys, one of those being Andy Katz. He sat down and had an interview with him. And Bruce Pearl's he, crazy, man. <laughs> he's, had, he's had quite a few interviews with a few, few different media sites, one of them being Hoops Hype. He sat down and had an interview, and they asked him, what do you think are the best parts of your game, and do you feel like it resembles anybody in the NBA? And Thor said, I believe it's my versatility, which I think we could all agree is something that really made him special in his freshman season at Auburn and made him look like if he came back another season, he would be really, really good for the Tigers. But he said both his offense and defense. Coaches can put him in in any situation, and he wouldn't be a burden or a liability. He can just throw him on the court, and he would make something happen. He's very versatile. He fits with. He believes he fits with every team. And he said the guys that he remind that he likes to play as, like he resembles the, these NBA players, are Brandon Ingram, Brandon Ingram, and Jer- and Jeremy Grant. I think the Brandon Ingram comparison is actually pretty spot on. I mean, you watch those two guys play. I think JT Thor is probably just a little bit taller, but they're very similar in their play styles. JT Thor said. Uh, specifically Ingram is the mold for him he doesn't try to put himself in one category though he thinks his game is incredibly unique I think I think it's really really good that he's been able to get all this attention I don't know again it's really hard to speculate on how these guys are going to pan out in the NBA but the fact that he's getting this much love and attention while the combine is going on 
is 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 really exciting to me because I've I've come on this show and I've said before I don't know if this guy's going to get drafted. I don't know if anything he does uh, until the until draft day will benefit him. I'm really concerned what he's going to do if he does get drafted. I think he needs more time and then you just watch him ball out of the combine and get all this different attention. I absolutely love it. It's a great move up the draft boards for JT Thor and he really has kind of come out of nowhere, not necessarily with Auburn fans because We've been talking about him this way all season long, that one day he's going to be a highly touted NBA draft prospect. And while that's probably not going to occur in this NBA draft, I still believe he is a first-round prospect. And I do believe that someone's getting a steal with his youth and what they can invest in him. I said that as soon as he decided that he was going to stay in the draft, I said this guy is going to get drafted. Whatever information he got, maybe it was enough to say, Man, one team out there has at least told me that they're going to take me in the first round, so I'm going to ride it out. And maybe now more teams have gotten their eyes on him. Maybe more teams are looking at him that way. We didn't think Tumo Kiki was going to go 16th. And guess what? He went 16th. And that was a shock in that draft, or 14th or 16th, whatever. I would not be shocked if we saw JT Thor go even higher than 23rd if somebody else really, really wants to key in on this guy. JT Thor was also asked by Hoops Hype, What's he's, what he's been doing since the end of the offseason. And I think it's the most important thing for him. He's actually said he's gotten a lot bigger. He's gained 10 pounds since college, and he's been working with trainers in Miami, developing his three-point shot and trying to get bigger. And those are the two things that I think are most important to him, and it's, it's obvious that it's showing at the Combine. We got a caller on the line with us. If you want to join us on the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Matt's on the line with us. Matt, how you doing today, my man? Pretty good, guys. Um, just wanted to bring up another question I had about the name, image, and likeness. Brought this up on the Max Roundtable earlier today, but I wanted to get you guys' thought as well. Um, what do you think about the market? Like uh, the size of the city of Auburn and the the, the market for um, advertising is kind of small compared to Los Angeles and New York and a a college town like maybe Columbus, Ohio. And Auburn is quite smaller than that. And I wanted to see your impacts on recruiting. I see what you guys thought recruiting. For um, people, for players, and using the name for their um, to to get players. You know, Matt, I was actually listening to the roundtable earlier when you asked that question, so that gave me some time to prep because I had a hunch that you'd call in today and ask about this. So I love it. Appreciate you calling in, my man. Um, you know, I I think that that's a great question, and as soon as you asked it on the roundtable, that was an element that I hadn't thought about whatsoever. I agree with a lot of what the guys said on the roundtable about it, but I do think, and at the heart of what you're asking, that is an unintended consequence, or maybe consequence isn't the right word to use there, maybe unintended factor, that, and it's just another unintended factor that is among many unintended factors that we haven't even considered because this is uncharted territory, right? I mean, on the roundtable earlier today, they were talking about how are how is this going to be monitored? How how are they going to keep teams from cheating? I even know they brought up money laundering. You know, there's just so much going on with the NIL right now, and it's so hard to project. But I think that that is a great thing to ask because I agree with you. I think that some places like LA and in New York, this adds a whole nother dimension to recruiting. These guys now are going to see schools maybe not necessarily in the light of the way that they viewed Alabama where these schools can give you 
NFL draft hopes, first round, they're going to develop you. It may not all be about what's on the field anymore. Guys may be worried about their economic opportunities off the field. This is a way for places like USC and UCLA and Los Angeles, and maybe not as much in college football up in New York, but in college basketball with St. John's, this is an opportunity for universities like that to really get back into the main scope of collegiate athletics where they have largely been an afterthought for the last decade or so so I'm with you I think that that's an interesting factor that really nobody's considering and good on you for thinking of that I appreciate it see you guys later that was Matt on the line with us appreciate it my man 334-321-1390 if you want to call Lynn Lance thoughts on that so he's asking if if it's going to be an issue that Auburn's in a smaller market if they're trying to get some of these players to advertise. And I don't think it's going to, and yes, and I don't think it's necessarily going to be an issue, but right. something that the guys on the roundtable said, which if folks want to listen to the roundtable, the Max Roundtable is on ESPN 106.7 from 11 to 2. If you're here in the Auburn-Opelika area, they're also on in Montgomery as well. They're on right before us. They lead into us, but they were talking about how they'll have to extend out maybe a little bit more than just the Auburn-Opelika area, right? Mm-hmm. That there are businesses outside of Auburn-Opelika, like Yellowwood, or you know, just think of all these different car dealerships up and down the interstate and up and down the highways around us. There are much larger businesses, or maybe even Apple was brought up with Tim Cook's connection to Auburn. I even think that there's an Auburn connection now with Amazon. There are so many connections outside of just Auburn and Opelika that reach far beyond even the state of Alabama that maybe Auburn could tap into for these players, or maybe that these players can tap into that Auburn will also have to kind of recruit because guys are going to be in living rooms talking about this. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to be wondering what can what type of economic opportunities can my children or, or what type of economic opportunities can I get as a player coming to your, your, your university? And you're going to have to sell that now as a coaching staff in order to get players to come because, as I mentioned earlier, there are better economic locations in the United States than maybe right here in Auburn, Alabama, because it is a small town. L.A. provides more economic opportunity than Auburn, Alabama. I will say this, though. At the same time, having players come into places like Auburn and Tuscaloosa, doesn't that benefit the small market that we have if there if are really big-name players advertising with some of these smaller companies? Shouldn't that be a good thing? Shouldn't that boost it's revenue? It's a great thing for the area. You just I wonder think so. if the players view it that way. Right. It, but so, so my thing is, like, if, if L.A., is paying players what the the businesses in LA are paying playing paying players whatever amount right I would wonder if the places in Auburn are going to be able to pay the same amount because if that's the case then I think it's just a benefit for Auburn I think that I think their small market increases I think it gets bigger I think a lot more eyes are on these products because they they have big name players and I think it's really going to jump in places like Tuscaloosa where these blue bloods uh, are are located and not necessarily bigger schools I, I, I cite places like Tuscaloosa, Athens. I think it's a really good thing for the community. I don't view it as a setback. I also think that maybe in the bigger places, some of those companies or businesses might not be willing to you know, uh, partner with a player or an athlete because they might have other avenues of doing that. If, if you're, if you're surviving, more competition in right. LA or New York. Yeah, if you're surviving in Los Angeles or New York, you're, you're doing it for, you know, 
you're doing what they're you're doing well. They're social media influencers. Right. They're, they're bigger at other venues that maybe you could take for advertising. Whereas Auburn, I know for a fact those businesses are going to be jumping at well, the Well, the be-all, end-all in Auburn is Auburn football. Exactly. Right. That's not the you case get a in player, Los Angeles. People are coming. I, I remember right. on the roundtable, I think it was Doug said this. Doug said Arby's could bring a guy in yes. to come and sign autographs for you know small money. I mean, they're not going to get paid a lot. And I, want, and I want to say this real quick before I go down that route. I think that businesses in L.A. and New York obviously can pay their players more than businesses in Auburn and Opelika mm-hmm. and other small markets. That's true, obviously. The cost of living is more in L.A. Everything costs more in these bigger cities, right? There, there's more money flowing through those areas. They can pay players more for their name, image, and likeness than a small town, right? But what Doug said was that you know, Arby's could could pay a guy like $500 to come and sit in for a couple hours. And I thought to myself, I wonder what the return on investment would be for that, right? And I was like, they clearly make that money back because these yeah. people are going to come in, they're going to get food, they're going to order, and they're going to easily make that $500 back or more. So I'm with y'all. That got me thinking, and I had a hunch that Matt was going to call in. And if other people have questions about stuff like that, this is a wide-ranging issue this is the Wild West, as was being talked about as well on the roundtable, and we plan on talking about it throughout the show. I had it scheduled for a future segment. This is so hard to speculate about. It, it, it is all over the place because it seems like nothing's off the table right now. I'll say, though, on the surface, I think, if anything, it's going to be- benefit the Auburn-Opelika area. I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. I think it's going to be a very good thing for some of these smaller businesses. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what's going on with the NBA Draft Combine, at least on the Alabama side. Josh Primo showing out right now. We'll discuss what's going on there, as well as getting back into this NIL debate. It's heating up here on On the Line. Twenty-one minutes into the first hour of the Thursday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. Between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, there's seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Great question asked by Matt, who called in. In the first segment, 334-321-1390 is how you call into On the Line. Whatever is on your mind, we want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390. I want to go back to it, though, because you guys had some interesting points that you made during the break. Jacob, specifically you, behind the board, you are not as concerned about it. You're not so certain that L.A. or New York will be hot spots for college football athletes considering competition in college football is not as big of a deal. It's a give and take thing with each town and city because LA, yeah, you might have more opportunities and you might have higher paid opportunities, but in Auburn, these businesses are going to be running after you, after athletes, trying to get them to might get paid ju- less, but yeah, but you might have more, more deals. Opportunities. You I mean, who knows exactly how it's going to go. Like we said, we're still kind of figuring out exactly how it's going to work. But think about what is king in L.A. and New York. And this is what you guys brought up to me. What is king in L.A. and New York in the sports world? Oh, it's the professional sports. Exactly. Namely, the NFL. And these college athletes are competing uh, against NFL players. I would say the NFL is king. NBA so? and baseball are probably... The Rams and the Chargers are probably... And the Dodgers. Less... Less, okay, but I would say New they're York, on a lesser level than the Lakers and the Dodgers. 
We could we could say collectively prof- professional sports yeah, are probably I think that's more fair. important, and I think we that's could say fair. collectively that the NFL is liked more than the NBA and all and the, all the other sports. I would say it still yes. goes NFL, NBA, MLB, but, but I think in when LA, we're talking about passionate fans. Then the Dodgers and the Lakers sure are better, especially yeah. considering those West Coast teams right now, correct, are not at the same level of success. As the Dodgers and the Lakers are, right <laughs> even now. though There's the Rams were just in the that. Super Bowl, but still, still regardless, if revenue. you're looking in athletics in the scope mm-hmm. of sports, there are a slew of professional athletes that can be chosen from to promote their business, as opposed to a college football player. Exactly, because I in LA, you have two teams in each league. So, and then the same can be said in New York. Exactly. That's interesting. I, well, then what major cities do we think? And Lance asked this question, so Lance, I'm, I want to send this your way. Yes. What cities, major cities in the United States, do we think this could actually benefit? Right. If we don't think L.A. or New York is going to be a hot spot, which ones do we think will be? So that's what I asked during the break. Is like, well, think of a college, think of a college town that is in a big market, and immediately your mind goes to Austin, Atlanta, Miami. Those Dallas. are probably Dallas. Those are probably the big ones. Texas, Houston. Georgia, Florida, Houston. Those those towns are going to benefit. I think Austin's the biggest one. They Orlando. don't have any professional sports to compete with. Orlando's a big one because it's only the magic. I'm I'm trying to make sure. Tampa maybe. Anything. Yeah, but here's the thing. Orlando, but you got UCF. Tom Brady there now. UCF's here to stay, baby. And, and Gronk will go and hang out at your bar for free. So. But, and also, is <laughs> is USF really drawing? that much attention no. whereas texas texas is going to absolutely kill That's in right. this area houston i think houston ucf those schools they can do it because they have an established kind of brand did you mention tcu when fort There's worth another one that's like dallas that. fort worth area. i like that i think tcu is a good one you don't think texas a&m is going to benefit at all from this see they're, they're in the they've got the college position. town yeah so, They're not in a major metropolitan now, area. They are an hour away from Houston, so that helps. How much do you think Syracuse benefits from this? <laughs> not much. Not much? <laughs> no. Not much. Yeah, no. I don't think so either. Another area that I brought up during the break, Miami. Miami is an attractive location. That you should be looking to capitalize this in a major way. If Miami can't recapture what they had in the 2000s and in the 80s going into the early 90s or really pretty much all the 90s, if Miami cannot capture what they had, what we've learned about in the U docu- documentary and what we've seen over time, if they can't recapture that without obviously all of the cheating and, and getting you know almost the death penalty, <laughs> if they can't recapture that magic, because Miami is about the U, they love it. If they can't recapture this by promoting their athletes – that, that's shocking. Miami has a real opportunity, probably more than any other Florida institution, to to make something happen out of this. I agree with that, because I think that Miami, the professional sports are a big deal down there, but I also think, like you said, everyone loves the U, and they've shown flashes in the past decade. Hey, but may they're almost back. They're exciting. But not quite. They're, if they can go back to that excitement, and of course the turnover chain is only a glimpse of that right now. That's kind of all it's really been. But if they can get that edginess, that that fun. Some people really disliked it. Some people really enjoyed it, right? Well, that's because what made they them were great. flashy, right? But if they could recapture some of that magic and brand that, that can help them on the recruiting trail. 
there's many places in Miami for them to promote their business. It's a major hot spot for folks to go down there and have a good time. I mean, this is they were they were kind of doing that already when they got home as the death penalty, right? Mm-hmm. So like now it's just kind of legal. <laughs> I just I just googled the the top ten popular most populous college towns in the United States. I actually found an article by Newsweek that was just written uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, New York and Los Angeles are number one, but let's quickly go down the list. Chicago is another area, but you would think that that would probably lean heavily towards uh, professional sports. 100%. There are no universities in the Chicago area that would warrant someone being like, oh, hey, the Illinois long snapper signing autographs. I better get down to the local watering hole. You know, like that's not not happening. Uh, Phoenix is at number four. Uh, I don't, again professional sports Washington and the Baltimore area again professional sports Dallas is number six let's see Boston is number seven Philadelphia Miami and then Houston and then you could see you look at those you look at those places and you say well most of those if not all of them are dominated by professional sports so I think this is going to benefit if if we're taking Jacob's hypothesis here that there will be a lot more competition in those bigger in those bigger areas I think it will benefit some of these smaller towns like Alabama Auburn you could look at places that are not as big that are still that are still relevant places like Jacksonville Something that we haven't really considered, though, because we've looked at this really from a 2D perspective. We don't have a ton of time to talk about this. Social media is a different dynamic that we really haven't incorporated into this. And going into L.A. and New York and some of these bigger cities, regardless of where it may be, even though professional sports are king in those areas, there's still probably more social media opportunity for these players to create larger followings than what they could maybe in Auburn, Alabama. And that's what a lot of guys are going to have to do in high school. They're going to have to start building their social media because, like you said, there are social media influencers in LA and New York and places like that that businesses would rather partner with because they have a bigger reach than, say, a running back for USC. And that's not to say they don't have a reach, but when you've got these guys with millions of followers, they're going to pick them depending on price. Of course, that can be a factor as well. But I, I really think that, like you said, social media is going to be a big deal. Also, what does this mean for high school players? We really don't have a ton of time to talk about let's this at this even, moment. Let's not even try to I do want to talk decide. about that later, though. Like, What does this mean for high school kids? Can they do this? Is that going to prevent them from being eligible? Because now it's all on the board. And then At least I'll, for college players, why wouldn't it be for high school players? I'll be, be sitting here decades from now, old and decrepit, and be back in my day. I wasn't able to get any money for playing for sitting on the bench for for a high school team. <laughs> I know? had to walk uphill both ways. Both ways in the snow. In the snow. <laughs> <laughs> we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast joining us at two thirty. He'll be coming up soon on the other side of our upcoming break. We're going to be talking to him a little bit about the NIL. We'll also get his thoughts on some of the stuff going around at the SEC that we've been discussing. We'll be talking about the Georgia Bulldogs today on our Auburn football schedule analysis series. All that and more coming up here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Now joined by Zach Blackerby 
of the Locked on Auburn podcast. Zach, we appreciate you taking your time to speak with us today. How you doing today, my man? Guys, I'm doing well. We talk about it every time. It's just pumped to be on the line with, with you guys. Well, I listened to your radio hit on the Max Roundtable earlier, and I know you guys talked a lot about the NIL. We actually yeah. had a call from Matt earlier asking about us, and that's where our show is kind of parked at right now. And so I want to get your thoughts on the logistics of all this because it seems to be a wide-ranging, broad issue that nobody really knows anything about. It's just all speculation, and it could just go – it could get out of control in a hurry. I think it's going to, and I think an interesting element that, that not a lot of people are talking about, we talked about it on the roundtable earlier, but it's just the regulation of it, and it's like people get out of hand with it, and I, I, I don't really understand how the NCAA has the teeth to enforce things even if people are kind of taking advantage of it. What does taking advantage of it look like? I don't know, because we haven't been doing it long enough to figure out like what's right and what's wrong with it, but... Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of smaller deals to help local businesses, and I think you're going to see it kind of manipulate and impact recruiting. Whether it's you know Auburn gets Tim Cook and Apple to give every kid an iPad every season, or you know every time a new iPhone comes out, everybody at Auburn gets one. I don't know if it's going to look like that, or if Apple's going to partner with you know Auburn University as a whole and just kind of equip every athlete with something like that and kind of go more big picture with it there's a million different directions this thing could go and i think it's going to be uh it's going to be exciting to follow it's going to be fun to watch from a social media standpoint it's going to be fun to watch from how boosters handle things you know maybe a, a big corporate partner uh in the past would kind of reach out to alan green and say hey i'm ready to give my annual 50 to a hundred thousand dollar um you know contribution It'll be interesting to see if he says, hey, hold on, maybe don't do that for a second. We may need you to, uh, you know, pay a kid uh, to be a spokesman for your company, you know, and, you know, kind of appeal to name, image, and likeness. I mean, there's going to be a ton of different things that this could impact, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be cool to follow. And I know in going in that direction there, I know Doug Amos said something along the lines of, like, money laundering and whatnot. And so my question to you is, what role – does the federal government here, here's the reality they've opened that box right the federal government is involved what role does the federal government now play in regulating this to determine what is legal and what is not legal because the fbi got involved in college basketball the federal government is now involved in collegiate athletics more than they ever have been well i think they're involved by saying yeah there's nothing to regulate here it's in fact uh, Justice Kavanaugh essentially said it's illegal to regulate it. So I think their involvement is saying, hey, yeah, just uh, you can pay the kids because in any other form of, you know, whether it's an occupation or whatever industry it is, you can do this. I mean, all this stuff is, guys, is the same thing that, that we do for a living. It's how we keep the lights on at the radio station. A client comes to us and they want to use our platform to, to spread the word, and we drive business to their companies. That's why we have commercials. That's why we do live reads. Why can't college football players do the same thing? I mean, anyone can do it. I mean, even, you know, I mean, there's so many high school kids and college kids or college-age kids throughout the, um, throughout the country, throughout the world, whether it's through Twitch or Facebook streaming or YouTube, whatever it is. I mean, they're making all this money through endorsements. 
We're looking at the one section of the population that for whatever reason can't just because the NCAA said they couldn't. And, uh, of course, that is uh, collegiate athletes. And the government got involved by saying, hey, what they're doing is illegal. There's nothing to regulate here. So while I guess you're correct, they got involved, but they're, at, they're, they're really just saying, yeah, just, just work. You know, I mean, this is a free market. And so, I mean, all of a sudden things are going to kind of um, open up and it's going to be it's going to be interesting. So I, I think it's a little bit different. I mean, there's nothing to investigate here, much like, you know, the FBI and the federal government got involved with basketball. I'm sure a lot of folks are getting inundated with this NIL stuff. So let's kind of get away with it for for a few moments here. Let's go to on the field things. We haven't talked to you yeah. about this because we haven't had you on air with us for a little bit. But how Presley recently transferring out of the Auburn program. What are your thoughts on an Auburn wide receiver that maybe had a little bit of upside but is now not even going to play down for the Tigers as he transfers away before he even has his freshman year get started? Yeah, before he really even practiced. I think he had a few workouts, but, I mean, you know, this is a guy that they got here a few weeks ago. He wasn't even uh, on campus for the spring. And, you know, just so you know, my thoughts on how Presley, the player, Literally, like, an hour before the news broke that he was transferring, Hal Presley was a big topic on the podcast that I pre-recorded on Locked on Auburn for the next day. Uh, I was asked a question by a listener, hey, who's possibly a guy that could uh, surprise us and get some starting reps next year that we're not talking about? And the, one of the guys I mentioned was Hal Presley, uh, just because, you know, there's so many questions in the wide receiver room. Then an hour later, you know, the, the news breaks, and it's like, oh, okay, of course. So, obviously, I'm very high on Hal Presley and his ability. What's going to be interesting with Hal Presley now, unless he's landed somewhere that I've missed it, it's so late in the signing process, I kind of wonder if there's room for him. It sounds like he wants to get back closer to home. He's from Texas, was committed to Baylor for a long time. I hope Baylor has room for him if that's where his heart is. But um, I don't think it's a big impact for the Tigers right away. But they're going to need depth after uh, after this year. I mean, Devion Capers, Elijah Canyon, Kobe Hudson, that's a good class of guys uh, playing their second freshman year or what if their true sophomore year with an extra year of eligibility, however they want to score it. But you need guys to kind of filter in after that. I mean, we've kind of solved the situation that Auburn was in last year with the wide receiver position with losing Schwartz and Williams and Stove. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay. All right, it's like they got the next version of those three guys with everybody being in the same class. So it's like, how do you roll with the punches in regards to reloading um, a little bit better, a little bit cleaner, so you're not in the same situation every two years? Speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast, we've been doing our Auburn football schedule analysis series today. It's going to be about the Georgia Bulldogs. But before we get there, there's been a lot of talk about expectations, a lot of talk about projections. A lot of talk about Auburn's first five games of the season. How realistic is it for Auburn to be 5-0 and going into that Georgia game? I think the big question is Penn State. Um, you and I have talked about it before, Noah, both on, on my podcast and on your show. Has been, I, you know, I am oddly confident about Auburn going to LSU. So to me, the big question is Bo Nix on the road uh, in Happy Valley. That's, that's the big question. If they pull that off, and every now and then, you know, I, I read an analysis or I hear an opinion about Penn State, and I'm like, okay, cool. I feel better about that game. I feel better about Brian Harson getting these guys ready to go up to Penn State. And then I think when you look at that, it's like, wow, okay, they can be 5-0 and going into Georgia. And you just think about the implications of all that if they're able to pull that off. It's, 
All right, Auburn's first home game, first SEC home game, rather, uh, where you can actually have fans. The the energy from you know Brian Harson's first year. You're going to be five and zero, oh, and just kind of by the nature of things, they're going to rank Auburn pretty high, just so they can have a very highly ma- uh, you know highly ranked matchup between Auburn and Georgia. I mean, the game naturally sells itself. I think Georgia will have a loss because of Clemson, but they're still going to be in the top ten. And, you know, you may have Auburn at like 15 or so if they're 5-0. and If they have road wins at Penn State and LSU, the hype is going to be unbelievable. And so then all of a sudden, does that atmosphere give you a chance? I'm still skeptical, but it gives you a chance. So Auburn's got a chance to be 5-0 and going into Georgia. And I think if that's the case, um, they've got some momentum. And I think this team starts to believe in itself. And I think about you know five weeks into the season is about when this offense is going to really hit its stride. So, uh, yeah, I think the sky's the limit for this team if they can start off five and zero. What do you like so much about this Georgia football team? Because that's what we'll be talking about today. Just raw talent. Just raw talent. I think they've got good quarterback play. I think it's respectable. I mean, we've seen what Georgia can do to an Auburn team with a guy like Stetson Bennett, and the guy they've got back there now is a lot better than him. So I think uh, I think when you put all this together, I think this Georgia team is really talented. I don't think it's enough for them to win a national championship because I don't think their style of play is made to win a national championship in today's version of college football, but it is designed. I mean, their system is set up for them to win 10 games every year, and uh, I think Auburn is just kind of in a situation where unless the ball really kind of bounces a funny way, which we've seen incredible things happen against Georgia and Jordan Hare, um, I just don't think from a talent standpoint they're going to be ready to go toe-to-toe with them. Last question to you, my man, and this one's a fun one. The NFL recently, actually today I think, not that long ago, approved alternate football helmets. I know you're a big New England Patriots fan. Where are you going with that? So I'm not uh, I'm not biased at all in this answer, Noah. I hope you understand that (laughs) uh, that that is definitely filled with sarcasm. But I think a lot of people out there will agree with me that the Patriots have the best throwback unis in the game. That old-school Pat Patriot, are you kidding me? That beautiful, beautiful red, and you put that on the side of the helmet, are you kidding me? Give it to me. I'm all about it, man. I'm all about it. The NFL is slowly realizing it's okay to have fun. It's okay to change things. And all these stupid rules that have been in place for so long uh, just because, like the number thing. Like, why, why were there so much limitation on numbers? That's ridiculous. And so you've seen the players really respond to that and be okay with having single-digit numbers in some of these positions. And now all of a sudden we can have two helmets starting in 2022. Shout out, Roger Goodell. I really hate that guy, but every now and then this guy just nails it. And it's just weird to think that that was a limitation before. But, yeah, man, I'm jazzed up. I'm all excited. What will the Browns, Noah, what will their second helmet look like? Oh, I need this. Halloween, they play the Steelers. I've said this to you before. Make the helmet yes, look like a jack-o'-lantern. What I think they should do is I think they should take the, the Cleveland Browns logo, which is a helmet, and put it on the helmet. I think that that would be a fantastic <laughs> idea. I think we should go with that. <laughs> that would make a lot of money, I feel like. I feel like in today's meme culture, yes. I think both of those things people would buy. Zach, one more last question too, because that, that sure. you, you brought this up. What what else can the NFL do to maybe be a more fun league? What what rule maybe would you like to see get struck down, or, or what would you like to see change for for maybe it to be a more fun league? 
I think it'd be cool for more players or uh, for the NFL to embrace uh, social media for the players. They do stuff in the Pro Bowl, and I think it'd be fun to see people uh, for players to have more access to social media during games or during halftime and things like that. And I think the vast majority of players wouldn't take advantage of it because there's plenty of reasons not to be on social media during games. It's you're super competitive and all that, but I think you could ask, definitely have some fun with some of those things. We're seeing people go like uh, you know live for like one minute after they score a touchdown or a big touchdown drive. I mean, they're just on the sidelines, not doing anything half the time. Now, obviously, there's going to be situations where like they're not going to take you up on that offer, but I think that'd be fun. I mean, we're all sitting on our couches all day watching Red Zone for seven hours straight anyway, scrolling through social media. It'd be cool to see them score a touchdown, and then you see that guy post a video or go live for a few minutes right after it. I, I, I would love to see something like that. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, Locked on Auburn is available wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we put a new show out every morning. And it drops at 3 o'clock Central Time, so we'd love to, uh, to have your ears on your morning commute or, or whenever, just not while you're listening to On the Line, of course. And then, uh, yeah, you can follow me on social media at Z Blackerby. And for those listening in the Auburn and Opelika area, I am on News Talk WANI every morning from 6 to 9. Of course, that is at 98.7 FM. Appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good evening. Thanks, guys. That was Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast. We wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break. Hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Wrapping up hour number one here, that is. Let's pause for a second and listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some movie selections for this evening. A new Fast and the Furious movie is coming out soon in theaters. Check out the 2009 film Fast and Furious at 7 on AMC. Didn't learn the lesson from Jurassic Park, so instead let's build a theme park. Jurassic World is on FX at 7. Family movie with a Lego movie on Nickelodeon at 7. In live sports, the NBA playoffs continue with the Western Conference Finals. Game 3 between the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers starts at 8 on ESPN. The College World Series is on with an elimination game between Texas and Virginia at 6 on ESPN2. Stanley Cup semifinal is Game 6 between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens is at 7 on USA. Montreal is a win away from taking the series. The U.S. Tokyo Olympic Trials is on NBC Sports with Day 1 of Men's Gymnastics at 5.30 and Day 5 of Track and Field at 8. Copa America Soccer features a Group A match between Chile and Paraguay at 7 on FS1. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one here, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you, Jacob Hillman behind the board. We're going to bring Jacob Hillman on for this segment, baseball guy in the studio. And I'm sure a lot of people saw what happened the other night between Joe Girardi, the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, and then Max Scherzer, obviously the ace for the Washington Nationals, and what's going on with all this sticky substance stuff in the MLB that obviously prompted Max Scherzer to unbuckle his belt, drop his pants a little, and uh, it, it was a, it was an intense moment to say the least. And then you see Joe Girardi get tossed in between innings, and Max Scherzer taunting the Nationals dugout, or excuse me, the the Phillies dugout. That is, there's a lot of stuff going on right now with sticky substance. I want to hear from folks out there three three four three two one thirteen ninety. What's on your mind? What do you guys make of this situation? 
in pro baseball with sticky substance. And these pitchers right now, a lot of them, they're irate. It, it's wild, in all honesty, because like you said, the pitchers are not happy at all. And we watched a Peter Moylan take on it before the show. And I really like what he said because there's a point where you take it too far. And I think that's the issue with what the, some of the pitchers have done and why Major League Baseball had to take a stand. And that's with the spider tack. That's with the popular substance that everyone's been talking about. Some announcers, Alex Rodriguez did it on Sunday Night Baseball where he put his finger in the little tube and it like dropped and it wouldn't unstick from his fingers. So it was such an interesting thing to see how, how sticky that really is. And Peter Moylan was talking about how he used sunscreen when he got injured and came back and he wasn't able to throw a ba- breaking ball because he used to just use rosin and sweat. And that's the natural, the, the legal way to do it right now. But when he couldn't throw a breaking ball, he decided to use sunscreen because one of his teammates showed him. And what it did was allow him to throw a breaking ball, but it was the same breaking ball that he threw back when he was a rookie in his early years. It wasn't like the spider tax stuff that's letting guys increase their RPMs by several hundred. Yeah, and what you mean by same breaking ball, the spin rate didn't increase, the velocity didn't increase, nothing changed, it just allowed him to grip it better. Yes, and what he goes into is that now that all that is banned, guys are getting hurt. Tyler Glasnow, he's the ace for the Tampa Bay Rays. He throws 100 miles an hour as a starter. That's very impressive. It's like Jacob DeGrom. Well, he got injured, and he kind of came out and said, I was using sticky stuff, but now I have to grip it different. And when I'm throwing 100 miles an hour, it screws my elbow up. And he and he did a he, uh, Moylan on his video did a great way of showing how you have to grip it closer to your palm and a little bit tighter whenever you don't have that sticky stuff, whereas usually you're just kind of laying your fingers on the baseball. And whenever you do that, all that pressure goes straight from your hand down your forearm and stops at the elbow. And that's how guys get injured. So I'm I'm of the opinion Tommy John surgery here. Yeah, and I'm of the opinion that some things like sunscreen should be allowed because clearly there's probably studies out there. I haven't looked at that that show that it doesn't really give a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the stuff that I mean, you can probably put two fingers on the baseball and hold it up without anything under it. That's probably not good. But the sunscreen is not going to do that. It's just going to help you grip it a little bit better and basically not hurt these great pitchers out there. Now, what do you guys make of what happened with Joe Girardi? Because amateur, the MLB <laughs> yeah. conferred with the umpires and examined the situation and said that they thought it was a legitimate call from the dugout. He made a good point after in his press conference about how he never touches his hat. Like he touched the top of his hat several times in that inning. But I really don't. I mean, I don't know. I think it should have been checked. Ha- it it should have happened between innings. He should have come yeah. out between innings and said, hey, I want you to check the top of his hat because he keeps touching it. Because yes. there are already several innings into the game. So the rule as it's written that Major League Baseball is implementing now, a manager is allowed to request for it. But if it's not, you know, in good – if it's in basically good faith, for, in good faith – It's all arbitrary, yeah. though, to decide that. You're right. Which is what I don't like. Right. But I think that's my whole thing is that if you're five innings into the game, which I believe they were – why are you? Why do you have to do it in between pitches now? And it throws them off his game. It throws off the rhythm. And they're doing it for a competitive advantage. Now, like you said, they determined that it probably was a, a fair a fair use of that to say, "Hey, I think something's up." I don't know. I just thought he. I thought he went way too overboard with it. 
I think you should be able to check them between innings or whenever they're coming to and from the bullpen. You and I talked about this just a couple of days ago. You shouldn't be harassing players while they're trying to play while they're trying to pitch on the mound. You shouldn't be stopping the game. You shouldn't be stopping exactly what Jacob says, stopping their momentum, stopping the flow of the game. It's not fair. I think you should be able to check these guys when when they're coming to and from places, but you shouldn't be you shouldn't be able to stop the game in the middle of it. I don't think that's fair. I want to keep this conversation going in hour number two at some point, but I'm kind of curious if this is good for the game. I think it's a bad look no, right now. It's not. I think it's a bad Manfred look. Manfred right came now. out and said it's gone well. The ratio. <laughs> ratio. <laughs> That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two coming up at three o'clock. Stay with us. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dawn with you. Jacob Hillman behind the board. It was a fun hour number one. And it roared by, just like this week, already at the end of the week. Thursday edition of On the Line. Hope some of this rain stops here outside of our studios in Auburn, Alabama. We got a caller on the line with us. That's how we're going to start off hour number two. If you want to join in, call in at 334-321-1390. Terry, how you doing on this afternoon? Doing great, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing pretty good. Hey, guys. Next week is July. That's right. That, that's that's. I mean, where's June gone? So. I have no <laughs> idea. I can't believe the Fourth of July is coming around. Feels weird that we're going to be recognizing it on the fifth on a Monday. Hey, I'll take any day off I can get. That's right. That's right. I know I've talked <laughs> um, to a lot of people like, why couldn't we have had it on a Wednesday? <laughs> Just out of curiosity, what do you guys think of all this talk about licensing and everything over the past, with the Supreme Court's ruling, everything over the past couple of days? That seems to be a, quite a topic. I, I tell you, I don't, I don't know that much about it. Yeah, and I don't think many people do. We talked about that for a good thirty minutes to open the show about how far this thing really could go, because it gets even onto the recruiting front. This is something that I've suggested to people off air a lot, but now I'm starting to hear more and more people talking about it on air. And so, like, I know I'm not alone, but at what point does this infiltrate recruiting and coaches hit up their you know fancy smancy booster friends that have a lot of money and have a very successful business and say hey we need you to tell this recruit that they're going to be the face of your business and that's going to pay this x amount of dollars so that they'll come and commit to us over Alabama or Georgia and whatnot and what type of recruiting advantages do schools have based off of their alumni and what businesses that they're connected to this is so far-reaching. We're entering into the new frontier, and nobody knows anything. Yeah, I mean, before it's all said and done, Derek, anyone with the only guy at Alabama driving a Crimson Charger. <laughs> hey, and, and that was something that was brought up actually on the Max Roundtable before our show. They were talking about Nick Saban owns a Mercedes dealership. That's or, right. Or multiple right. Mercedes dealerships. I know, I know he owns at least one. It's like, what role does that play? What if his dealership wants to 
contract with a recruit or with a player is that a conflict of interest for Nick Saban because the school isn't supposed to be playing the uh, isn't supposed yeah, to be Yeah, this guy runs like guys. a Mercedes. Right. And so like what what connection does that have? Is that a conflict of interest and how is all of this going to be monitored? Is it going to be regulated at all? What is legal? What is not legal? I don't think anybody knows, and I don't think we will know until this thing actually hits the playing field. Yeah, because the president has been set by the Supreme Court, but I really don't think they know what they're doing. They're opening, for lack of a better term, and I don't know anything else. Really, I, I profess I don't know much about it. Your Pandora's box. This could, this could infiltrate to something a lot bigger. Right. I said this uh, last hour when we had Zach on. I said the the federal government has now gotten involved into something that they've never been involved before. Mm-hmm. And now that they are involved, there's no going back. And the NCAA now basically is saying, well, you got us. They've lost. They know they've lost. That's why all of these changes are happening. And there was a memo yesterday that the NCAA sent out to schools saying that there's going to be – they're working on – interim rules right now for all athletes to be able to get paid before they put something a little bit more uh, with finer details and a little bit more solid on paper so there's going to be to, to bridge the time period i guess during all these uncertain times with the federal government and, and with this change in, in collegiate athletics so even they don't even know what's going on they're, they're, well, they're if just, not done correctly this could be the end of amateur sports as we know it that is very true. Yes. Let's, let's be honest. I mean, what would people like Herschel Walker and Bo Jackson be worth in these times? I have no idea. I mean, and can you possibly imagine? And uh, you guys are probably too young, but there used to be a restaurant there in Auburn called Touchdowns. Do you guys remember that? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Well, I thought maybe Bo Nix could go and do business for himself and play with a place called Interceptions at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. See you, Terry. That was Terry on the line with us, 334-321-1390. I hate that he hung up right there because I was about to tell him we we when Terry calls we keep a timer, and <laughs> the timer is how long is it going to take him to mention Bo Nix? That was by far the longest three that, minutes twenty five seconds. Yeah, it, it was it was a, he went a good ways and I, you know it was a setup. That's what it was. He was just setting up and it was perfect. He set us up, boys. It was he, it was a it was a carefully crafted punchline. <laughs> oh man! Any thoughts on what he said? Yeah, I'm right there with him. This is something that actually concerned me before, two or three years ago, actually, whenever this thing was first kind of like being discussed, like not legitimately, but somewhat legitimately is like, I'm scared this could be the end of amateur athletics. Well, what is amateurism? Because pretty much everybody talk about ratio. We said that at the end of hour number one, that's something that gets ratioed if that's even uttered out of someone's mouth. That's not even like a that people don't even recognize that as a reality in collegiate athletics anymore. See, and I think that that's an I think that's an extreme version of what could happen. I really think that's very unlikely. But like like you said, if it's not done correctly, look out because things could get really messy really quickly. I don't think it'll be a problem, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that society today is more leaning towards, hey, these guys are making a lot of money for these athletic departments and are getting nothing for it other than the scholarship and housing. Let them capitalize. Exactly. So you're at the point where you almost have more people saying, hey, pay them. They are saying, I don't know, it might not be a good idea. The big question is, how much does the school get pulled into all this? Does it come out of the school's pocketbook? And obviously right now, that is not the case. The school, the, basically the restrictions on this, the parameters set on this at the moment are that the schools can't actually dole it out, which protects the schools, right? And protects the school and the school's extra sports the the non-revenue sports the sports that are getting floated by football and basketball and and this is why i do think that 
this is the best way to do it because it benefits everyone. The players are benefiting. Businesses locally are benefiting. Community. It's really one of those things that, done correctly, it benefits everyone. Yes. I'm right there with you. If it's not done correctly, this could this could be disastrous. But as we were talking about in the first hour, I think this could really benefit some of these smaller areas. In like, if you look at the SEC and the and the markets for some of their their uh, their their cities, like it could really really benefit them. I'm talking. Oxford, Starkville, Auburn, Jacksonville, Knoxville. You're, you're looking Some at more places. more commercial opportunity. Exactly. And so, if, if anything, right now, it should be viewed as a good thing. Now, that, now you should, moving forward, the guys that are controlling this should be very cautious because one misstep and this could be all over. But I think it's, it's a very, very good idea if, it's, if you take into the consideration that this could really benefit some of these smaller communities. Maybe not the end of amateur athletics. My question is, and I and I think that actually probably already is unraveling because I asked this question earlier, and, and now's probably the time to get into it. Can high school kids do this? Because right. nobody talks about high school kids. But I've been to some communities <clears throat> that are far removed from college towns and are far removed from college football where high school football is an absolute big deal. Think about that in Texas. Yes. See, this they're basically best... playing in college football status. But even locally, Auburn oh, yeah, High School sure. and Opelika High School football are big deals. This, that's what I was about to say earlier is like if you think about markets, I think Texas out of any state is going to benefit the most from this because you said it's not coming out of these schools po- or the university's pocket pocketbooks yet. And if it does, you're looking at Texas and Texas A&M absolutely dominating the the a lot the, of revenue a lot of money a lot of money in texas and you think about if this does trickle down to high school sports exactly you're looking at te- texas high school football also just exploding you don't think that would if it does come out if it does start coming out of the school's pockets you don't think private institutes like vanderbilt who already has all those scholarships for baseball i don't know how that works but i almost feel like there's gonna be a way that they can really take advantage of that my thing is i'm not sure but if it's not okay in college for the NCAA to restrict it, then it must not also be okay in high school. So why wouldn't high school kids be allowed to benefit off of this? And I'll tell you, I'll bring up the local example. Auburn and Opelika have some pretty passionate fan bases. Now, how much is there of a market demand for the local high school football star to go and get autograph signed? I don't know. And what's, but what scares me is if that does come to fruition, there's going to be a lot of kids that grow up thinking that they're going to be the next big thing in athletics, and there's always going to be somebody in front of you that's going to get that chance, and you spend your entire high school and college career thinking that you're going to be somebody and you're going to get all this money, and you end up not doing anything. You come out of college not knowing what you want to do for your career. You come out of high school not knowing anything. My thing about high school, though, is it's not necessarily about the autographs, but a restaurant here. We'll say, you know, we'll put you on a poster, and they'll pay them a certain mm-hmm. amount for that. We're going to put you in a commercial, and just just different things like that. That you don't even necessarily have to be the star; they just want someone in an Auburn High School football uniform just to be on the picture. Because you know, you look around restaurants, and you see high school jerseys hanging up on the walls. And what I think of is the Buffalo Wild Wings in Opelika and Tiger Town. They have that. I don't see why they wouldn't go for a high school athlete to have a poster where you have a group of kids from different schools Mm -hmm. together, and then you pay those kids for doing that. Yeah. 
And there are some other communities where high school football is even more important to the local fabric For than sure. maybe even where we're at here because they're obviously Auburn, Auburn University is such a big deal here. That is kind of we, – we've talked about the, the competition in maybe larger cities, mm-hmm. right, like L.A. and New York where it's going to be harder for collegiate athletes to make it happen because professional sports is such a big deal there. Similar here, but maybe in a place where there is no college presence and you're looking at high school football as a major mm-hmm. as a major part of the local fabric, I think this could come into play. Now, I don't think it's going to be major money or anything like that, but it could be pocket change for a kid. I wonder where it jumps – from high school to college, because if I'm Powell Gordon and I'm committed to Auburn, at what point, if, if, if all of these things are in place, at what point do I get to start benefiting? Because I, I, I think that also could potentially speed up the recruiting process. It's like, well, if Alabama's offered me and I know that they're going to be able to give me the most money, bam, I'm going to Alabama. No questions asked. It's, it's, it's not, it's, I, I can see opportunity where this could could falter i i definitely think that it will speed up the recruiting process because think about it you get in the fans and the businesses heads not in their heads but they know your name for a much longer time if you commit when you're a junior in high school and you stay committed i think this plays a much larger role in basketball than it does maybe in football because of what it takes to get to the nfl you have to be in college for three years there's a much quicker turnaround from high school to the professional level, and there may not even be the college bridge anymore mm-hmm. in the next four or five years because yep. the way that the NBA has discussed that, you see that the way that AAU and even the way that the FBI investigation and all that unraveled and unrolled and pulled back the curtain on those elements about these guys, they're already looking for shoe deals when they're in high school. And now that there are professional leagues cropping up outside of the G League, which was only restricted for the top players in the country coming out of high school, I even think it plays a larger role in basketball because there's much shorter of a time period from yes. them coming out of high school to the professional level. We knew who Zion Williamson was coming out of high school. And I bet that Nike or some other major apparel company would have really wanted Zion Williamson sporting their stuff before he went into college. I think that's a fantastic point because when you look at Zion's case, you're spending, was he in in high school for three or four years? And then you spend one year at the collegiate level. All that time through high school, if you are a highly touted prospect, you can be making money. And some of these universities can be be behind the scenes like promising you endorsement deals. And so you're making money through high school. You go to the most prestigious university with the most money in college for one year. And then you go to the NBA and you're making money. The next question that I have about that is, though, with these apparel companies, because they sign these big deals and they become exclusive with players, if a high school player, namely, let's just stay in basketball, because this is where you see shoe deals happen, in high school, say Zion Williamson signs with Nike, does that exclude him from going to a school that is not Nike? Well, see, I think it's interesting because you look in the NFL – you have guys that they have the Under Armour deals, like like Tom Brady, for example, in the Super Bowl, when he was on stage uh, getting the trophy, and I think he won MVP, right? I can't remember. I if can't he won remember. Super Bowl MVP. If he, whatever, he was on stage with his kids, and he had the Nike logo showing, and he's an Under Armour athlete, and everyone was like, and he did the awkward thing where he like lifted the shirt up, but then didn't work. It was just really awkward, and I don't know if that will be a thing. I just don't know, and if it is, that's where problems happen. I think another thing that you have to consider 
is how big of a deal would it be for these kids in high school? Because in, I think in reality, it's at the end of the day, it's going to be a regional thing. Whenever you look at somebody like Zion Williamson, I know that he was kind of all over the place because of what was going on on social media. But if you have a five-star kid coming out of Indiana and he's like well-known, but he's not that well-known, if Nike wants to give him a shoe deal, I'm not seeing somebody from Oregon wanting to buy a pair of shoes because they saw an ad because some kid in Indiana is playing basketball, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like Romeo Langford when yeah. he was coming out of IU. It's, it's like, just like, I think it's going to be a very regional thing. So I don't know if it's going to necessarily explode. And we won't know. There's just so much. You asked, you you have all the, you, for, for our rundown, you have these questions about this. And, I, and the one thing that I put at the top of my notes is I can't make a decisive read on any of this, anything that's going on, because it's so early in the process. Something that I will add to this, and I want to talk about this on the other side of this break, but... We talked about this being the end of amateurism. I think that's already happened. I think amateurism is over with now. I think that's uh, Other fair to than say. the fact that these guys aren't getting salaries from universities. But what really we're seeing now, that's not amateurism. Amateurism's done with. We already said that. What we're really seeing is the end of the NCAA as we know it. I think they are having Good. all of their teeth removed <laughs> because they don't have any leg to stand on right now. We'll talk about what that means on the other side of this break, you're listening to On the Line. Twenty minutes an hour, number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you. Jacob Hillman behind the board. Number to call 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Talking a lot about NIL name, image, likeness here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You've got something else you want us to talk about. Once again, 334-321-1390. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter, as well as follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com and on Facebook, that's foxsports983.com. It's been a fun Thursday edition of the show. I said this before we went to break, and I want to dive into it just a little bit with you guys. Amateurism was what Terry brought up at the start of hour number two. Is this the end of amateurism as we know it? I think if it's not dead already, it's on its deathbed. But what is being diagnosed with a deadly disease seems to be the NCAA. Right, and that's something that we were talking about during the break, and I poised the question, I'm like, well, what does the NCAA do? And it's kind of like regulate, making sure that things are not going on behind the, behind the scenes that they shouldn't be, but with all these new new rules and stuff coming into place, it's like, well, things that used to be cheating are just kind of going to be out in the open and happening, right? So, like, what is their purpose? And it seems like all their teeth is being removed right now by the federal government saying, hey, what you've built your business on is not okay. It's like they just took out the roots of a weed. There's there's no, I, I, I'm with you. I don't know how they enforce this. I don't even think the NCAA knows how they enforce it. They've lost a lot of ground. So my question is, is, is there going to be moving forward a reason to have an organization like the NCAA in existence? And I can't find a reason as to why that would be. But hold on a second. The NFL exists. There is still a front office. There is still, you still need a governing and organizing body. That's how leagues are made. It just might have to operate more like professional sports does. Right. Which and goes to the point that Terry exactly. made, amateurism is dead. And amateurism is either either dead or or, 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 or dying. And it's, I think it's currently in the process of dying. 
just a crazy, crazy time we're living in, and it just heats up. And then, oh, by the way, there there might be a 12-team playoff in a couple of years. <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, we may be figuring out in here within the next three or four weeks that we may be expanding the playoff after saying that either we would never expand it or it would be a very, very long time until we expanded it. And here we are, the NCAA, and everybody's like, oh, well, I guess we'll expand it thanks to Mississippi State's AD, Notre Dame's AD, all, all getting together and saying, hey, our team suck. We need to be in the playoff more often. And so I, I think it's going to – I'm scared of what the 12-team playoff is going to do to college football, but there are a lot of people pushing back on what I've had to say and saying, no, it's a good thing, and I think there are a lot of good reasons out there. So I'm, I'm becoming more and more optimistic, but I'm still very skeptical. Talking a little college baseball here now, as Vanderbilt, NC State, Vanderbilt last night walked off against Stanford on a wild pitch that has put them now into the semifinal portion of the College World Series where they have to take two out of three against NC State, whereas NC State just has to win one to advance. Vanderbilt has to take two out of two. Excuse me, my bad. Yes. I don't know why I said two out of three. That's right. They've got to take all two matchups against NC State. they got to beat them twice, and then NC State just has to beat Vanderbilt the one time to advance to the College World Series final series. Do we think Vanderbilt will do this? I'm asking for a prediction now. Well, if you're asking me for a prediction, Noah. <laughs> flow chart, baby. It's time for the flow chart. Are you an SEC team? Are you an SEC team? Noah, let me ask you another question. Do you think any other team beside an SEC team would have the guts in the bottom of the ninth inning to, to, to scrape up two runs to win? No. And the I'm way they answer. did it, they had two outs, too. Right. Think about that. They were talking about deathbeds. Vanderbilt was on theirs. This may be obnoxious because, it, of course, it can happen to anybody, but no. And nobody else but an SEC team could do this. Vanderbilt is going to win both Even of these games. NC State. Even though NC State may be 23 to 2 by Arkansas and then came back and went to it. Well, see, Vanderbilt's a different breed because reasons unknown that i can't explain because the flow chart just says it has to happen so you're going vanderbilt you think they take both i don't think they take both the flow chart think they <laughs> think they take both no <laughs> jacob you know it's tough kumar will be on the mound for game one where go home after that it's a bit of a question mark i think they'll be had a bit of a rocky show he did last time out. i believe kumar rocker had a rocky start oh, that's right pun intended i i, be- I believe lighter might be able to go again but I don't know. It's a big question mark on who the starter will be for game two if they are to win game one. I think NC State gets it done. In I think game so, two. too. In game two, I mean, they're just too hot. They're, they're eventually going to— Their gonna, pitching's fresh, too. Yeah. Vanderbilt's is right. not. They haven't played since Monday. That's a big deal, a huge deal. Kumar Rocker is fresh. The bullpen, not as much. Of course, you're getting back to the time— you're getting back in this cycle to where you were at when you started mm-hmm. in Omaha because, what, they played last Saturday. Correct. That was when Vanderbilt started their run. But they've had to play more games. They're just not as fresh as an NC State team that has only had to play two baseball games up to this point, whereas Vanderbilt, what, have they played three or four now? And so that that extra game or two makes a big difference going into this semifinal series. And I've always leaned this way when pitching is at a premium when you've had to play more, when you're in these NCAA tournament regional situations and one team has fresher pitching than the other, I'm going to favor the team, especially when you look at where Vanderbilt is at right now. I'm going to favor the team that can hit better. You've gone farther in this tournament. Everybody, for the most part, has had to expound some energy. Only the deepest of pitching teams still have arms available at this point. 
Vanderbilt is relatively deep, but as I've already mentioned, they've had to play extra games compared to NC State. NC State doesn't have as deep of a pitching staff, but they haven't played as many games, so that helps them be a little bit fresher up to this point. I'm going to favor the team that hits better, and NC State is hitting the ball so well right now that against not a fresh and a a depleted, relatively depleted Vanderbilt pitching staff, I think NC State's bound to get at least one of those two games. Well, now I feel kind of dumb because you're asking me to rationally pick against my underlying bias, and I don't (laughs) have the heart to do it, man. I know where I should go, but I don't have the strength to do it. Also, I can't stand the thought of an ACC team winning the the College World Series. If it's not an SEC team, I can't sleep at night. Well, NC State, Virginia is still on the board, and of course, Virginia and Texas play tonight at 6 o'clock, I believe on ESPN2, so that'll be something to look out for tonight. That'll be a pretty good ball game. Virginia's played well above their weight class. I give them no credit going into Omaha. I said they wouldn't win a game, and I'll look at them. They're, they're a win away from taking on Mississippi State for a shot at the College World Series. Yeah, that and that's an interesting series. or That bracket is interesting just because of Tennessee and Texas both falling in their first games. And then now Virginia, like you said, they're – they could make it. It'd be, I don't think they'll it be missing twice. It made that side twice. of the bracket actually a lot less exciting for me that it two did. of the best teams in baseball, two of the top three teams in baseball, were fighting for their lives on the second day or the third day or whatever it was that somebody was going home early. I wanted to see one of those two teams come out of that side of the bracket. What do we think about Mississippi State's chances? I like I think it. they got a shot. I like them, especially if they go up against Mississippi well, they're fresh. Against NC State. They're fresh. They already have one of the deepest pitching staffs in all of the Omaha bracket. Right. And now they really haven't had to play that many games. So I go back to the points I was making about NC State Vanderbilt. They haven't played that many games. They're fresh. They've gotten now to a full week cycle where they're back to their first starter. They're back to their ace. They ought to be able to at least take one of those two games, if not the first game of whoever they're playing, whether it's Virginia or or Texas. But it hasn't been an easy ride for Mississippi State either they played both of those teams already and they were extremely close games yeah and they're they're just a gritty bunch they're so gritty and they just find ways to win and that's why i like their chances to win it all especially if they play nc state because nc state could jump jump ahead for nothing and mississippi state you can't count them out because like you said mississippi state has such a deep pitching staff that you know starter gets off to a bad start well you can have a relief pitcher come in Landon Sims, he's pitched so well throughout this tournament, and he can come in and shut things down, and the offense will chip away. That's why I like Mississippi State, Is even though against a hot team like NC State, they can kind of neutralize that with that pitching staff. So aside from Lance here, what I'm getting is we're on the verge of a Belk Bowl-like no. Omaha <laughs> matchup between Mississippi State and NC hey, State. That is the R- most accurate R- thing that has ever been said on the show. R.I.P. the Belk Bowl, the Dukes Mayo Bowl, though. Who cares? That's what I – okay. I was so mad when that change was made. It's like, who wants to be in the Mayonnaise Bowl? Like, if you had to choose, like, Duke or Duke's Mayonnaise Bowl or the Belk Bowl, I want to go to the clothing brand bowl. I'd rather go to the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl and just run all over his face for crying out loud. I don't want to go to the mayonnaise bowl. Q Patrick Star is mayonnaise a bowl game? No, Patrick. Mayonnaise is not a bowl game. Yes, it is, Lance. It is not. Let's take a quick break here on All the Line. 30 minutes left in the show. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 
You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Watch the show on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Also, keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Fun show today. I think now we can officially move past all of the NIL. I think we can move past all of that nonsense let's go back to the nba draft something that we didn't talk about really hardly at all josh primo on the alabama side of things we talked about jt thor dominating right now in the nba combine and really solidifying himself in the first round i believe but josh primo doing that for alabama yeah there were a lot of tweets going out yesterday about how primo essentially had the best day of anybody at the nba combine yesterday especially considering that he's only just 18 years old he was able to i think he played really well in the three-point drill but also showed more upside as a creator as a, as a passer there were a lot of there was a lot of talk about him specifically being able to pass the ball and he was really comfortable with it some really nice passes from primo and you watch some of his shooting drills i mean he looks like an nba guard does this really hurt alabama he didn't play that much that's what's interesting is he was he's shown that he was one of their best players on the rosters and it just i don't know it's weird well it's a loaded point guard position i know he kind of moved over to shooting guard a bit but i think in the nba he'll play a mixture of of both but it's a loaded point guard position they still have javon quinterly and then jay davison the recruit, the five-star recruit, number eight player good, in the yeah. country coming or whatever he is. I mean, they, they got a high-profile dude coming in at point guard, higher rated than Sharif Cooper was coming out of high school. This is more good for Alabama than it is bad because it gives them a guy in the first round since Colin Sexton. That didn't matter when he was at college. He was like, hey, here's somebody. that It's it's the Devin Booker thing. Hey, here's yes. a guy on our bench yes. that we had that we didn't really use, and look how he turned out. Imagine what you could be if you were a starter. <laughs> It's kind of also the thing with JT Thor a bit, though. JT Thor played a lot, but Mm -hmm. what's being sold on him at the moment is that he is raw and that they can mold him into whatever they want him to be because he's relatively new to the game. Josh Primo kind of in the same boat. Not necessarily new to the game, but I'm just saying that he's raw and hasn't really been used a whole lot. You you don't think part of it was that they had the COVID offseason, do you? That he didn't play at Alabama? Yeah, I think think same with JT Thor not being... And JT Thor was great, but then Primo I come feel from like Canada. It could have been better. Yeah, I just feel like I was about to ask to see the Canada guy because there you go, RJ Barrett comparison. They're both getting <laughs> he's he's getting drafted high. Then it has to happen. I, I just feel like that those newcomers last year just if they struggled at all, like you can blame it on that just because you don't get a full off season, you don't get a full year in the weight room. You you really just trying to figure things out on the fly. Auburn thought they had Sharif Cooper, and then they didn't. That's a very good point. It's a very good point. But I think I think the same can be said about Primo. It's just he didn't get the full offseason like you normally would. So you don't really get to gel with especially Alabama. They were experienced. Herb Jones, John Petty, they ran the show. He didn't he didn't really get to gel with them like you would like if you're Alabama. Let's switch gears here to the Auburn side of things. Auburn football schedule analysis series. We promise we talk about the Georgia Bulldogs today. We'll see how much we can really dig into it today. Might have to move it over into a little bit to tomorrow. But let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. 
lot of talent coming back on that side. You got the quarterbacks, you got the running backs, you got the wide receivers, you got a pretty experienced offensive line. You sound like your Lou Holtz impression there. I know, right? I know. <laughs> well, you got the you got the quarterbacks, you got the running backs, you got the wide receivers. The complete offense. I'm telling you, Notre Dame's gonna win the national championship this season. Every season, go fighting Irish. That's exactly exactly what it was. You're like, they got the running backs, they got the quarterbacks, they got the offensive line. I'm like, oh no, here it goes. It's not my best. I've done a better Lou Holtz before, but I've heard better on air Lou Holtz impressions. You've done, you've had some spot on moments where they where you've been put on the spot and you've you've that was absolutely not my crushed best. it. In a way, and I don't know how many people have watched Frank Caliendo, who I really enjoy watching. I kind of draw a little bit of inspiration on, but you have to kind of get into the. You gotta get into it. You gotta act. It's it's very method. Like you gotta you gotta take on the personality a little bit. Briefly before we get into grading some of these positions, I would love to put my mind in in the position of somebody just driving along and they're just turning the dial and all of a sudden they hear that and then you're just like, What is going on? Lou Holtz is making a comeback? Lou what? Holtz? What? Lou Holtz doesn't want to be a senator anymore? <laughs> Hold up. So let's let's grade some of these positions on the offense, obviously starting with quarterback. Where would you grade this room or JT Daniels specifically? I think he's got to be in an elite tier in college football going into this year, right? Yeah, I think he's got to be. Or is that premature? I think it's fair to say that that could be premature. But you're willing to project an A. I'm willing to project an A. And if you why might it be premature? Because he only played four games against four teams that were like in like average like 89th in passing defense last year and we've been over that on this show but if you're talking about this whole room I'd have to grade it as a B because you look at the guys behind him it's like he really didn't look that great against Cincinnati which was really the quality defense so again he he was completing only about 70 percent of his passes and it was like 326 yards but it was one touchdown and a pick, and there were some throws where it's just like that could have been intercepted. It was like, oh, that was a really bad read. Like, it was visible. Like, he had his really good moments, but the, the bad moments were were obvious. How much of that is because he really didn't get to practice a whole lot with first-team reps yeah. before he stepped into the starting role, also coming off of an injury, and then on top of that, COVID. If anybody had an excuse last year to not be prepared to play college football, it was JT Daniels. Right, and that's something we talked about 19 months between playing football and he was not taking first team reps until a week before he knew he was going to be the starter if you're looking at this room as a whole though Stetson Bennett the fourth I think that takes it down to a B like and that, that, that's not a joke that's not a bit because if JT Daniels does uh, have another injury this season or something goes wrong I don't trust Bennett to, to keep them at the level it to an A though because he won games he just didn't beat Alabama he didn't beat Florida that's either right. he didn't beat Alabama or Florida the two best teams but he still won games. Wouldn't you like him as a quality backup? Wouldn't you say that's quality depth? I don't know because you look at the game, the, the teams that he beat. He beat Arkansas. He beat an unranked Auburn team uh, at the end of the season. He beat uh, a Tennessee team that I believe was like 14th in the country whenever they played Georgia. That tells you they were losing at halftime. Yeah, that tells you all you need to know about last year's season. Tennessee in was winning at halftime of that game, and then. Tennessee happened in the second half. Right. I don't think it was Bennett that that would necessarily won them that, that game. That was the moment. The beginning of the second half against Georgia was the moment that Tennessee football was set ablaze last year. <laughs> Dumpster fire, McDonald's bags, all that stuff <laughs> that came out in the future, that was the beginning where it all caught on fire. The McNuggets were extra crispy. <laughs> and then they lost to Alabama. They beat Kentucky on the road 14-3. to Ooh. 
They beat Florida and Jackson, or they lose to Florida and Jacksonville, and then JT Daniels takes over, and albeit against bad competition, but they won four straight. I guess my point about Stetson Bennett is, though, he's better quality depth than most quarterbacks in the SEC because of his experience, and he's still going to win you some football games. Who would you take, TJ Finley or Stetson Bennett? Oh. I want to say Finley, and that's not just a pushback. I like I, I genuinely would probably take Finley. That's fair, but, but I, yeah, I, think I, about I, underst- it a I understand your point. Yeah, I understand your point. I think that's fair to make. So you and I would both have this room as a, as an A. I suggest it to be an A. All right. What about running back? This is where I'm caught up a little bit because Georgia running backs are typically really really good, and I don't think these running backs fit into what we've seen historically at Georgia. Zamir White has dealt with a lot of injuries. I don't think the one-two punch, they typically have a power back bruiser with a little bit more of a finesse guy behind him, more of a pass-catching running back behind him, which is one of two guys for them right now, James Cook being one of those primary guys behind. I mean, you think back to Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle. You think back to Isaiah Crowell. You think back to Todd Gurley. You think back to all these high-profile names. And I don't think this group has ever quite amounted to what we thought they would based off of what Zamir White's recruiting rankings were coming out of high school. But I still think they're probably an A unit in college football. With the depth that they have, they're yes. all good. They're going to average you more than five yards per carry. I think what I what holds them down in my brain a little bit is because they haven't quite amounted to what we thought they were going to, and they're not nearly as good as the other Georgia running backs, but it's hard to follow those guys. Cameron Artis Payne was great. He wasn't as good as Trey Mason, but he was still great. And then Peyton Barber's in the NFL. Wasn't nearly as good as the guys before him, but he still ended up being a really good running back, actually better than the other two guys before him in the NFL, right? I think so that's, like it's hard to evaluate yeah. some of these guys in comparison to their predecessors, but I still think that this is one of the best running back rooms in total in the country because of their depth and there still is some untapped star power there will it ever achieve it because of injuries and whatnot probably not for whatever reason this group just can't quite explode onto the scene but it's hard for me to look past Zamir White's 11 touchdowns and say yeah these guys are pretty darn good yeah I'm right there with you as far as evaluating evaluating this running back room not as good as the guys that Georgia's had in the past but I think they're still pretty darn talented and if Zamir White doesn't get injured this year he could be something special it's reliable it's consistent it's Mm -hmm. good but it's not home run they're not going to destroy you with speed over the top they're not going to make these super sexy plays it's kind of like Cameron Petway I think that would be a great comparison Cameron Petway when he was healthy before things all derailed at the end of that 2016 season he was an excellent running back he was a star but he was not he was not flashy he wasn't going to run for 75 yards because he didn't have that top end speed he wasn't human highlight real material we saw if you watch any Cleveland Browns football Nick Chubb was doing this obviously at Georgia Nick Chubb was straight up stiff arm a dude around the neck and throw him into planet earth you know like and he was doing that at Georgia those are highlight plays that end up on Sports Center that changes people's perception of running backs. They're not physically imposing or, or, or speed-wise imposing, but they're still excellent running backs, and they do the, they do the they do everything well. Just maybe nothing exceptional. It's kind of like Carry On was everything well, but nothing exceptional. I will say this. If my second leading rusher and essentially my backup halfback is averaging 6.7 yards a carry, I'll take that. 
If James Cook is averaging 6.7 yards a carry, I'm very happy with that backfield. And I think part of that had to do with the offensive line. I would probably grade the offensive line as a B or an A. Three starters return off a unit that was 17th best in the country last season, according to Pro Football Focus. Each starter on Georgia's offensive line last season, I know there's only three coming back, but all of them had a Pro Football Focus grade at least in the 70s. That was the third best uh, group-wise, that was the third best in the SEC. You're bringing three th- starters back from that. You're recruiting exceptionally well. You were tied for 48th in sacks allowed per game last season. That's above average. I would put this group as a B or an A. And the way that these guys get drafted as well mm-hmm. has brought the Georgia offensive line into the same light as how we view a lot of positions at Alabama, that they're going to reload, that they're going to be good regardless of how many players they lose on that offensive line now of course if they lost all five which they didn't this year but if they were to lose all five we'd probably say ah it's going to take some time for this group to gel but they're really just mixing in a couple of new players in with some new guys that are going to get drafted highly and are going to showcase their ability once again this is another unit like the running backs that maybe aren't exceptional but they're consistent and they're going to give you a good performance regardless of the opponent. Would you say that the receiver room is exceptional? If George Pickens was healthy, yes. I still think that they're, from a depth perspective, from depth, I think that Georgia has one of the deepest receiving rooms in college football. They're more than just one excellent receiver like LSU. We talked about LSU yesterday. Their receiver room is Kayshawn Boutte. You look at Arkansas's receiver room, it is Traylon Burks. You get past one or two on this list at Georgia, and they still have guys, and I'm including tight ends in receiver room, you still have guys that can hurt you. They have four players that can torch anyone, even with George Pickens out. So I rate the receivers as an A. I don't know if I'd go as far as to say exceptional because I don't know if there's any one player in there yet that has showcased just like, oh man, that that guy's a stud. That Mm -hmm. guy's a first-rounder. Now I think Jermaine Burton can get there But at the moment, nobody is showing what George Pickens was showing at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Somebody will emerge that way, and I believe it to be Jermaine Burton. You think it could be Kyrus Jackson. The fact is, they've got four guys that are all really good at being consistent pass catchers. This is an A group because of their consistency, and they can can burn you downfield now. You look at some of those yards per reception numbers. Jermaine Burton and Kyrus Jackson, they can torch you now. Jermaine Burton, Kyrus Jackson, Eric Gilbert, Darnell Washington, this group is an A. 100%. End of story. That's it. And if George Pickens was here, it may be the best receiver room in the country. I agree with that. Aside from Ohio State. Ohio State's one-two punch with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. You can't beat that. Those are two (laughs) first-round receivers. It's like what they had going on with Alabama. Yep. Yep. Offense, overall grade, I think we'd both say A. This is the best Georgia offense in terms of talent that we've seen. Since Kirby Smart has stepped on into Athens. On paper, it's it's got to be the most talented. What could possibly hold it back? We've talked about a lot of positives. We're about to have to go to break, but what could possibly hold it back? Hmm, I would say inconsistent quarterback play against uh, be- uh, better competition. I Is would that say. a scheme issue, though? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I I I don't know. I'm just afraid whenever you're looking at the, that Georgia Georgia playing Clemson week one, playing Auburn, Florida. I'm just afraid that JT Daniels will. I don't think he will, but I'm afraid that he could not be as consistent as 
we may think he is. I think a lot of that does have to do with the scheme, though. I think it weighs the quarterbacks down. We were talking to Zach earlier in the show. Zach Blackaby of the Locked on Auburn podcast joined us at 2.30. And if you missed that conversation, go and find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. A lot of great insights there. When he was talking about Georgia, he was saying that their roster isn't really built like teams are built now to win national championships. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that does have to go with the scheme. It's not spreads you out it's a little bit more smash mouth a little bit hits you in the mouth a little bit more under center it it, it does not predicate itself on athleticism as much as other teams and scoring a ton of points it's a little bit more ball control than what we're accustomed to in today's day and age of college football and they rely a little bit more on their defense than they have in their offense in the past now if their offense could throw up 40 points a game this year I think that they've got a really good shot to win the national championship honestly if their offense can reach a clip like those Alabama offenses were in the early 2010s. Those Alabama offenses in the early 2010s, as much as people want to say they were winning titles off of defense, their offense was still scoring 40 points a game. If Georgia can hit 40 points a game with the defense that they typically turn out, which even this year, if it's a more down defense than it typically is and only allows 20 a game, if they score 40, give up 20, they win the national championship this year. And that's essentially just adding an extra touchdown, right? Yes. So do you think that that's achievable? With these guys, it is. But the question is, do they have it in between the ears of the coaching staff? Are they going to make the right play calls on the sideline? Are they going to have the right schemes? Are they going to have the right game plans? So many times we have seen Georgia falter in those moments. But we've ran out of time on this topic. Let's take a quick break here. We'll be back in just a few moments. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we listen to what's on TV tonight, Lance, you had a very interesting statistic about Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs in regards to their rivalry with Alabama that I did not know. I really love Saturday down, Saturday down South because they provide a lot of interesting statistics. And I was listening to one of their podcasts recently, and Connor O'Gara was breaking down Kirby Smart and what he's been able to do in past assistant coaches against Nick Saban and what they've been able to do against the Crimson Tide while Saban's been there. No coach has led for more minutes against a Nick Saban-led Alabama team than Kirby Smart. That includes Dabo Swinney. That includes Ed Ogeron. That includes uh, Jimbo Fisher. No coach has done it more than Kirby Smart, and somehow Kirby managed to lose every single game that he's played against Alabama. Isn't that wild? That is wild. That's insane. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some movie selections for this evening. A new Fast and the Furious movie is coming out soon in theaters. Check out the 2009 film Fast and Furious at 7 on AMC. Didn't learn the lesson from Jurassic Park, so instead let's build a theme park. Jurassic World is on FX at 7. Family movie with a Lego movie on Nickelodeon at 7. In live sports, the NBA playoffs continue with the Western Conference Finals. Game 3 between the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers starts at 8 on ESPN. 
The College World Series is on with an elimination game between Texas and Virginia at 6 on ESPN2. Stanley Cup semifinal is game 6 between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens is at 7 on USA. Montreal is a win away from taking the series. The U.S. Tokyo Olympic Trials is on NBC Sports with day 1 of men's gymnastics at 5.30 and day 5 of track and field at 8. Copa America Soccer features a Group A match between Chile and Paraguay at 7 on FS1. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. What will you gentlemen be watching tonight? I think you got to be watching the Suns and the Clippers. If it's anything but the Suns and the Clippers, what you doing, bro? Yeah, Suns, Clippers. Clippers have been down 0-2 in both series before this and have won both of them. But and there's no claw. That is Chris true. Paul's that makes back. a big difference. But Chris they did, Paul is back now. They Chris did Paul. win the last two games of last series without Kawhi Leonard. So Can we also talk for a second about what on earth happened in Milwaukee? We'll talk about that tomorrow. We ran out of time. We ran out of time. It was, it was awesome. wild. It Giannis was awesome. almost had a triple-double, and they still lost. I actually have some really good stuff planned for tomorrow's show about it, though. We're going to revisit those keys that we had before Game 1, and we're going to talk about that in relation to what the results were in Game 1. It can't be replicated, so that's something to look forward to for tomorrow's show for any Atlanta Hawks fans out there that are keeping up with what's going on up in Milwaukee and in the Eastern Conference Finals. But still fun. Trey Young, man. Maybe Stephen A. Smith was right in saying that That's, that was he's my the most takeaway. important player in this series. Yeah, that was my takeaway is that he is, if they're going to win, he's got he's to pop off every single night. Still, the degree of difficulty wasn't easy, and no. he did pop off, scored 48, and they still only won by three. That's, not, that's equally not as good of a look mm-hmm. for, for the Atlanta Hawks moving forward. But we'll talk about that more on tomorrow's show. Some good things that we saw in that Easter Conference Finals, as well as A slew of other topics will keep you up to date with what's going on with Auburn Athletics and beyond. That's it for another edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.